0: You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello everyone and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. We've had some super juicy conversations so far this season, but trust me, it doesn't stop here. If you haven't checked out our previous four seasons, then I highly recommend taking yourself back to season one and catching up as we've covered so many topics relating to company culture from mental health employee career pathing to diversity we have covered a breadth of topics and we just keep going Today we take the diversity angle a step further as we talk to Rachel Morgan Trimmer, a neurodiversity coach and consultant who supports businesses in understanding neurodiversity and enabling them to build a more neurodiverse workforce. Whether you're completely new to the neurodiverse topic or are aware of what it means, this episode is about enlightening more organisations to understand why it's essential to start embracing the full spectrum of neurodiverse workforce. Let's get started. Hi Rachel, welcome to the Make It Thrive podcast. So tell us about your experience around neurodiversity.
1: Well, my experience with neurodiversity is what's often called lived experience. So I, I live and, and breathe it every day. I am autistic and I also have ADHD. And in my professional life, I work with people who are also neurodiverse. I work with a mix, actually. I, I work with uh, neurotypicals as well. That's what we call normal people. But I work with a wide range of, um, of neurodiverse people. So that includes autistics like me, people with ADHD, again, like me. And I also work with um, dyslexics and people with dyspraxia sometimes as well.
0: Wow, such a varied experience then in this area. So for those who are perhaps completely new um, to neurodiversity, and exactly what it is, could you explain a little more about what neurodiversity means and how it impacts people's experience in the workplace?
1: Neurodiversity is the umbrella term for a group of conditions. And those are the ones I've listed, which is autism, ADHD, which stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Um, dyspraxia, dyslexia, dyscalculia, which is difficulty with numbers and numerical information. Mm -hmm. And some people include um, Tourette's in that as well, but not everybody does. A neurodiverse condition means that you don't think the same way that other people do. And you don't experience the way the world the same way that other people do as well. And if you're uh, if you don't have a condition, you're what's called neurotypical, which most people just call normal. And um, neurodiverse people have a lot of um, a lot of unique skills and strengths and positive characteristics. But we also have a lot of challenges. And some of these, I mean, a neurodiverse condition is something that you're born with. Some people mix it up with mental illness, but it's not the same because it's something that you have all the time and, and you can live quite well with it. And you can um, you know, you can you can manage it quite well, but it doesn't go away like a, a mental illness can. One reason that I think people confuse them is obviously they, they both affect your, you know, your brain and your behavior and mm-hmm. how you feel and so on, and also because so many neurodiverse people experience mental Ill health about half for both ADHD and autism. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, it's quite high. So some of the, the challenges that we might face in the workplace, um, or, or generally in life, um, difficulties with with social interaction is very, very common. And, um, and one of the ones that you sort of impacts so many Areas of our life, you know, it's it's not just talking to people at work, but it's making that small talk. Or for some people, it's it's difficulty having those conversations with with people on your way to work and and so on. And with with other things, um, with things like dyslexia and dyspraxia, as well as issues with reading and writing, which you know you have to do in in pretty much every job. There's also um, somewhat more hidden challenges, and that could be things like sequencing. You know, when you have to do something in a certain yeah. order and certain steps that can really, really flummox some people. So that's just a a couple of examples of of some challenges that people have. But also, um, neurodiverse people bring a lot of strengths to the workplace as well, which, uh, you know, a surprising number of people don't realise. So you think of, say, dyslexia as an example, because that's one that a lot of people are are very familiar with, and those challenges reading and writing. And you, you look at that and you think, this person can't read very well or they can't write very well, which is often the case. But what they don't realise is that dyslexics are amazingly creative and they are Mm. spatial thinkers. It goes with the condition. They always see the big picture, which a lot of normal people can't do, and and I can't do it either. And they can see patterns and they can see gaps in those patterns. So they're really good at things like extrapolating from incomplete data and and patterns and modelling and spotting um, you know, spotting flaws and things and stuff like that, so they're incredibly valuable in a workplace, like all neurodiverse people, because we all have what some people refer to as superpowers.
0: <laughs> I definitely call them superpowers my My younger brother is dyslexic, and I always say to to my other brothers he's like the the golden child in the family because he's just so anything that he applies himself to, he really thrives in. Um, he had a very difficult time at school. Unfortunately, he wasn't as supported as he should have been. Um, but actually, as, as, a, as an adult, he, he thrives so much. And um, he's a very successful businessman. And he's also a volunteer fireman as well. So he's actually, you know, created this quite incredible life for himself. Um, but, you know, the, I suppose the way we look at it within society is... Um, it's so difficult as if it's a, a big fault almost within someone's sort of profile.
1: That's a really interesting word you use there, fault, because we do we do see it as, you know, as society generally does see it as, as a fault or a flaw or something less than or um, I mean, even in the term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you've got two negatives just in the name. Yeah. Or autism spectrum disorder it's it's a, a thing that's wrong and i find a lot of neurotypicals don't like the word normal because i i tend to use the words normal and not normal because they're they're much <laughs> easier to spell you know i work with dyslexia, so <laughs> I need to keep my, my language simple and um and some people don't like that and, and what they don't realize is that for a lot of people normal is a good thing because they see any deviation for that as, as something bad and for people who have accepted their neurodiversity you know they're the strengths of their autism or the you know the positive side of of their dyslexia or the advantages of having ADHD, people like that and like us understand that not being normal is is actually a good thing. Or it may not Mm. be a good thing or a bad thing to anyone. It's just something different, which is exactly what neurodiversity means.
0: Absolutely. Because I know when we first had a discussion around this topic, we sort of started challenging the idea of it as a disability. So can you explain to our audience, is neurodiversity a disability?
1: I absolutely love this question <laughs> because every time I ask it to other people, you know, especially in my workshops, because I, I do workshops for uh, for businesses about you know embracing neurodiverse stuff and and celebrating them and, and getting the most out of neurodiverse people while adapting to them, and um, and I say to people, is it a disability or just a difference, and is it a strength or is it a weakness, and. And people never answer properly because they don't really know, and um, and they they always want to say, "Oh, can we answer more than one? Can we say it's a, a strength and a weakness and a, a a disability and a difference?" And and a lot of people will say, um, you know, they they don't like to say it's a disability because again, they they um they associate that with being negative. A disability mm. is a, a negative word, and I don't necessarily see it that way. You know, it's it's just there, isn't it? A disability is just yeah. there. You either have one or you don't. And uh, and what's really interesting um, is that often the lawyers, because I, I do some workshops with law firms, and they always say, yes, it's a disability because it's classified as one under the Equalities Act, which means it's a protected characteristic, which in the workplace is a good thing because it means your employer has to make adaptations for you. Wow. So when it's a good thing, then people say, yes, that's a disability. But what I find really interesting is that if I've got people to say, yes, it's a disability, I stand in front of them and say, do you think I'm disabled? Because they know, you know, I say right at the beginning, I have autism and ADHD. And they look at me and go, no, but they've just said my conditions are a disability. So I think that says a lot about how we how we see and, and perceive disability and, and how yeah. we see and perceive these conditions as well. So, yeah, I, I really love that question because because um, it doesn't really have a straightforward answer. It kind of depends on... on Your own perception of of disability your perception of neurodiversity and your perception of the individual in front of you and (laughs) for me in in my case i've got to tell you it does um i i change my mind on it from day to day and how much it suits me (laughs) because some days i feel i don't well i never feel disabled really some days i find things really difficult and if um if i need something different from everybody else i will put my sunflower lanyard on i don't know if you've seen them those indicate that you have a hidden disability
0: Oh, wow, no, I haven't.
1: Yeah, I'll put that on just so I don't have to queue because it drives me up the wall. Or, you know, also people stay away (laughs) from me as well because, you know, some people are too close or they, they talk too loudly or something. So I'll, you know, I will identify myself very obviously as being disabled if I want or need something. But on the days that I don't or in the situations that I don't, then I will say, no, I am not disabled
0: wow that's so interesting isn't it and i think sometimes it language has so much to do with it doesn't it because you like like you say there's so many negative words when when you start looking at, at some of these um areas it's kind of like wow we we I suppose we've, we've added in a lot of um, negativity. So, so it feels like um, when you're talking about these things that it's not a positive because there's so much negative language involved.
1: Yeah. And and there's also a lot of medical language involved as well. So diagnosis is, you know, I I talk about diagnosis, even though it it sometimes makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I I prefer identify, Mm. you know, because if you're diagnosed with something, it means you're, you're ill and you can get better. And there's, there's terms like, um, some people are taught to say people with autism which implies that you can get rid of the autism and still have the person rather than it being being integrated so the um the the medical terminology to be honest doesn't really sit very well with me
0: yeah definitely do you know i've found funny enough I, I i listened to another podcast um it was the other week i i often listen to other podcasts while i'm doing the ironing very exciting um <laughs> But that was around um, Fenella about um, the word we use around um, women struggling to have children about the word barren and the way a lot of the time doctors are using that word, which is just so negative. Um, and and there was there was a it was really interesting about sort of, you know, the way they were like, well, actually, we need to be using different language around women struggling to have children, because that word is a real trigger for people Um and it, it's, it's almost so final as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, um, you know, some people don't think the words that we use are, are that important, but they really are. And I, I quite often get asked um, by neurotypicals or what words should we use? And, and mm. you know, what if I get it wrong? And to be honest, if you're trying to use the right words, frankly, that's good enough. It doesn't matter if you use the wrong words. Or, and, and I use wrong in quotation marks because, um, you know, a lot of people in the neurodiverse community do disagree about what they like to be called or what they think is offensive or whatever and um if you at least if you're trying you know that's you're you're yeah. 10 steps ahead of anyone else who really you know who doesn't care so I, I honestly i genuinely appreciate people who are trying to use the the right words or the words that they think are suitable and and that you know that's really something that's quite valuable to people like me
0: mm, definitely no i must agree I mean, we've sort of covered, you know, how it can add a real, um, you know, benefit to workplaces. And I I read um, a Harvard Business Review study about, um, you know, looking at at why more organisations aren't, um, you know, being neurodiverse in their um, recruitment and hiring. And, And it it covered one case study about a gentleman um, who had autism and he was incredibly engaged and productive in his role, but it had, t- it had taken him two years to get employed. Um, I mean, what do you feel stops more organisations developing a culture that's more inclusive in the ra- realms of neurodiversity?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is that they just don't know that we're out there. They don't know the advantages of hiring neurodiverse people. And I always tell people we we're, we're thirty to fifty percent more productive than normal people, and that's um that I think one of those stats comes from the Harvard Business Review as well, the other from j p morgan Chase, and we learn faster as well and I think that if you don't know that, you've not really got a reason to start looking at it, and it's something that has to be presented to you as as an option and they I think a lot of people as well don't realize quite how um, how difficult some of their hiring procedures are for neurodiverse people. So take a, a dyslexic, for example, if they can't fill in an application form correctly, then mm. of, that's immediately a block. And, you know, some people with um, with anxiety that goes with their conditions, um, you know, that, that's obviously going to have a negative impact on their job interview, and they, they might not perform that well. And somebody with ADHD, for example, simply turning up on time can be quite a challenge for them. So there are a lot of blocks to to that in the first place. But I think a a large part of it is the fact that they don't know that you need to be inclusive to neurodiverse people, not just because it's the right thing to do, which it is, but also because there's so much that we can bring to organisations. And I think at the moment, there isn't that awareness
0: yeah, absolutely. I must agree with you. I really must because I think it's so easy to when you're looking at you know improving your culture and and and, and changing your processes that very few organisations look at how this is going to to be seen by by the diverse outside world. They're often looking so inward rather than outward um, about their processes, and I'm, I must agree on that. It's 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 an area that that needs to really be highlighted and much more increased um, in the in the terms of the organisation, especially in regards to the culture. So I really agree with you on that one. I mean, you've mentioned about the statistics, you know, of the benefits of having neurodiverse people within the company, you know, what it can bring. Um, and you know, tell us a bit more, why why do more companies need to embrace neurodiversity when it comes to their company cultures?
1: The short answer is because we're really good at, at what we do. Um, a lot of people a lot of people paint, say, autistics, for example, as being quite um, emotionless and that's not true. We get if we get properly stuck into something, if we're hired into a job where we're really passionate about it, we will um, you know, we will always go the extra mile to get something done. We always like to do stuff properly and that can be a, a real asset. And you find um, autistic people tend to have specific skills as well and and it is the classic one there are a lot of autistics in it but you find a lot of autistics in creative roles as well wow so there is a the fact that um you know we, we're passionate and, and committed and and talented in many cases and when you have somebody with say adhd we we tend to work very quickly and mm. in a, in some roles that's um you know that can be a bad thing because we tend to go too fast but then in other roles and especially something like um mul- you know where you need to multitask yeah. we can be incredibly efficient and there are people with ADHD in in all sorts of roles and and things like um very high pressure jobs as well we we actually like the pressure we we thrive on it so in those you know in in jobs where you, you say oh I don't want to ask somebody to do this because it'll be too much pressure you you stick an ADHD person in there and they're you know happy as a clam doing that role and I think um, finding those those roles where people can build to their you know build on their strengths is really valuable because you're, you're getting out so much more than you put in you're not just putting mm. a person in a job and you know they because a, a lot of uh, neurodiverse people are unemployed I think it's something like 80% wow. so it's really high oh and um you know most neurodiverse people want to have a job so when you put somebody in in one of those jobs when you hire somebody into a job that they're really well suited to you're getting someone who is not only um, you know excited about having a job and so on but also able to sort of commit more and, and enjoy and sort of thrive because they're able to yeah. to use those skills I mean we all feel good when we're when we're able to do something that we're good at and that's kind of multiplied yeah. by 10 when you've got a neurodiverse people not just because the way we do things is, is sort of so much more extreme than, than normal people, but because we feel very deeply as well, we're quite sensitive. Mm-hmm. So we, we feel those things very deeply, you know, that sense of confidence, that sense of pride, yeah. the sense of happiness that we get. In fact, I know somebody in neurodiverse recruitment, and he said when he was sat in a, a job interview and they gave an autistic guy a job that was absolutely perfect for him, he said he could see his face light up. In the interview, oh. because it meant that much to
0: him. Oh my goodness!
1: So we're obviously, um, you know, th- there's so many reasons to hire um, to hire neurodiverse people, and and I think that the crux of it is it, it's that bundle of of reasons. You know, it's a whole the whole package, the whole picture that you're getting.
0: Absolutely. I mean, touching on a point that you said there as well about um, you know that uh, roughly eighty percent of neurodiverse people are unemployed. What what is kind of stopping that is it that organizations are, are just simply not adapting to their needs or is, is there is there other kind of um i suppose roadblocks in the way to increasing their employment
1: i think there's there's a variety of factors we we talked about how hiring processes are not generally very inclusive there's also the fact that neurodiverse people don't always disclose and there are people are always surprised by this they don't always know so i was over 30 before I discovered I had ADHD and autism. And you think it was obvious and it's not. And I've met people who are over 50 before they even discover they're dyslexic, which you think would be wow. obvious and it's not. So some people don't know they need this stuff. So they don't know why they're struggling to fit in to a company or to, to get this job or to do the things that they need to do to get a job. And then you have others who are um, hiding their neurodiversity, probably because of bad experiences they've had previously. So yeah. they're not asking for the adaptations as well. And I think one factor that also might be um, an issue is that companies don't always know what adaptations to make. And and it's easier for the neurodiverse person to have that offered rather than ask. We don't always like to ask for things because it makes us feel embarrassed or demanding or, um, you know, kind of like we're in a special needs category where we, we don't necessarily yeah, cool. feel comfortable so if they they offer an adaptation, that makes our lives so much easier but they they don't um, companies don't always know what to offer, and also, I think there might be an element of fear that it's going to be difficult or costly to um to make adaptations for people and so one of the things that I tell people when I go into workplaces to to help tackle this problem is that sixty percent of adaptations for neurodiverse people cost nothing oh my goodness wow yeah nothing at all so oh. it's not as much of a challenge as people imagine
0: wow it's just crazy isn't it when you look at all those different areas because some of it is is you know um, sort of that that self belief that you're going to to cause um you know some kind of difficulty for your employer that you don't, you don't want to be sort of picked out as the odd one you know that's got got that sort of condition and um, it's and then you've got the the combination of actually people thinking oh well that that's going to cost us more money do we really need to do that and it it's just incredible it absolutely astounds me that you know we're we're with this far ahead in uh, organizational development and, and we're still so far behind in this area.
1: Yeah it is very much a, an emerging field and one interesting thing that I found when I've been But, you know, since I started working in the field is how much I learned about myself, which has been quite eye opening because there are so many (laughs) things that I have been doing or that I feel. And I didn't understand that. Oh, that's an autistic thing. I just thought that was me. And that's been quite comforting to know that other people are experiencing the world the same way that I do.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness I bet it must must be quite freeing because even um my mum often says um I'm sure I'm dyslexic but obviously she's in her 60s and you know back at school age when you're you're most likely to be identified as dyslexic you know and um, they didn't have those kind of um indicators about neurodiversity there wasn't that awareness you were just kind of slow or things like that there's quite negative connotations around it back in in her childhood so she she still still Till, till this day, says, I'm definitely dyslexic. I'm just not an identified dyslexic. Yeah, I
1: find that's that's quite common, actually. You know, especially yeah. uh, particularly with women. Actually, women tend to go um, undiagnosed more than men do, and particularly with um, you know with with people like your mum's age or uh, my age as well, because I'm 45. And when I was at school, um, ADHD wasn't a thing, and autism meant you were Rain Man you know you were that severely um well well I would say severely disabled because obviously he was somebody who wasn't able to to um live independently and and that was that was it so if you were you know if you're in that environment it's there was no idea that this was even a thing
0: yeah absolutely no I mean you've talked so much about the the benefits and the strengths that neurodiversity can can bring you know to company cultures so with your experience you know what what would be the top tips for companies looking to support neurodiversity in the workplace
1: well my absolute number one tip for companies who want to be inclusive towards neurodiverse people is to have the right attitude and so, if people are listening to this podcast, they've already done that. They've already done step one. They've they're interested. They they want to be inclusive. They they want to understand more. And that honestly, that is so big. It's just you know, it doesn't sound like much because you're kind of not doing anything. But it's <laughs> it means such a lot because once you've got that attitude, once you're doing it because you're you're interested in, and you want to make the most of people like me. You know, it's not just a, a sort of. It is nice to be fluffy as I call it fluffy and inclusive and and doing the right thing but also the bottom line is if you hire neurodiverse people you've got a more efficient uh, workplace you've you know and the benefits spread out beyond the neurodiverse people to the entire workplace if you're inclusive so you've got things like less staff absence for example in an inclusive workplace um, you know better hiring practices and so on so you've got all these benefits and you, and you're doing the right thing and having that attitude is is so Massive because it's a starting point from things like looking at your hiring practices, looking at those um, adaptations that you might need and also assigning people to those roles where they're really going to thrive. So, for example, if you have a job in the office that nobody wants to do because it's boring and it's sorting stuff out, you might ask an autistic person to do it and they might say, yes, I would absolutely love to do that. I'll be happy to you know, sort that out because it appeals to my my sense of order, or they probably won't say all that in words. So I'll just go, yeah, and go and do it. And then do it <laughs> ten times better than you're expecting because that's you know, that's how the real world works. It, you know, I, I like to say to people, it's going beyond that that just being accessible and being inclusive, but actually starting to celebrate people like me, neurodiverse people. And and I, I mentioned earlier those dyslexics like like your brother. And you know, instead of um saying oh, you, you know, we're going to have to do this and and you've got this problem and that problem saying, you're dyslexic. We need someone to to look at this and and sort it out. We need someone who's got, uh, you know, spatial thinking, can think in three dimensions to, to have a look at this and come up with solutions. They are so good at joining the dots. And, um, you know, if I need problem solving and, and I'm, I'm working with dyslexics, they're the first people I go to because I need somebody who can look at, look at different things and, and join the dots and bring those things together
0: yes absolutely no I can not agree more I can really relate to that in the in the in the small amount of experience even I have of of things that my younger brother often I get him to approach something I'm like Jacob do you want to have a look at this
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's so um it's so, I find it so rewarding working with such a variety of neurodiverse people because one thing we we all have in common is that we we all tend to have an element of creativity even the work the ones who don't tend to work in creative jobs necessarily we all have some element of creativity and we all tend to be quite good problem solvers as well mm-hmm. and that's quite interesting we tend to you know look at things in a in a different way Autistics will look at things sideways um you know people with with adhd will always find the most efficient way of doing something because we, we get bored so easily and, and dyslexics like i said looking at the the bigger picture so that's um you know, that's very rewarding for me to work firsthand with, with neurodiverse people because I get so much out of it.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I really can. It must be so rewarding to see the impact that you're having on, on people and the organisations that you're working with. Because like you say, not only are these organisations thinking about that, but then they're, they're then being proactive by getting someone in like yourself to go and help them ignite these these adaptations and really expand their thinking. So it must be incredibly rewarding yeah yeah it is well thank you so much for joining me today rachel you have given us so much insight and knowledge i've really enjoyed absorbing all of this and i'm sure everything that you've shared is really going to help a lot of organizations start thinking differently about neurodiversity so thank you so much for joining me today
1: thank you for having
0: me